If you'd like to take your Bibles out and turn to the book of Philippians in the New Testament. In the book of Philippians, we're going to be working on Philippians chapter 3. So I've given uh, a few lessons on the first two chapters and pulled out some of my favorite uh, lessons from this. Philippians uh, is, is not a secret. It's one of my favorite books. It's one of the books that's helped me the most. Um, it's a book that was written by Paul. And... It's a very, very revealing book into Paul's heart. Um, this this man who uh, has has given up everything in order to to serve God. The scripture reading that I asked Brandon to read this morning was of his conversion. Um, and so, starting in Philippians chapter three. Verse 1 says, Finally, my beloved brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is, again, is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Um, So you may know, if you're very familiar at all with Philippians, it's a book that's filled with joy, right? Joy and rejoicing mentioned uh, 16 to 18 times in this short four-chapter letter. Um... And in the midst of this book that's so filled with joy, there's also a lot of anxiety and pain and struggle in Paul's life. And so basically in each of these chapters, I've been trying to pull out what it is that, that is able to give Paul such an encouraging, joyful attitude in such difficult circumstances. Um, and his, his exhortation and lesson that he's been hounding throughout this letter is rejoice in the Lord. And he says, this is something that if I have to write this to you over and over and over again, that's good. It's a safeguard for you. It is no trouble for me to be able to do that. Um, that is something that he, he really, really longs that others will be able to rejoice in the Lord in the way that he does also. Um, and he begins here, and, and we're, we're beginning this study with some warnings. Um, in verses 2 and 3, there's beware. Um, beware of dogs. Um, so it's kind of a strange thing. Um, and I think in us, in our culture, we, we really like dogs a lot more than what they would have back then. You think of a dog uh, back then, it's, it's really more of a scavenger. If you were a Jew, the do- a dog would be unclean. It's something that, that uh, eats meat, it eats dead carcasses, it'll steal your food if you let it get too, too close. They're just, they're a nuisance. Um, and they're, they're really scavengers. Um, and you can see here that Paul's not really talking about dogs. Um, he's talking about people. Uh, with a dog-like mentality, where they're scavengers, they are unclean, and they'll come and they'll steal, and they, they're just unclean, gross type of animals that Paul would have associated with the dogs. 
Um, he also says, beware of evil workers and beware of the false circumcision. Um, so he's talking about a certain type of person. Uh, this person that he's describing, uh, he, he brings up a lot in just about all of his letters. They're people who are, are brethren who are not faithful to Christ. They put their, their trust and their faith and their confidence in the flesh. Um, so they're, they're people of, of high standings, uh, people of, of high rank among the Jews. They influence people and, and shake the faith of others uh, by weighing them down with burdens. Um, and they're arrogant in the flesh. And Paul's going to speak more about this later, so I don't want to get too far into this. But I want you to remember that there's, there's these group of people, and Paul's going to bring up a contrast here um, in verse 3, where he's describing uh, people who put their confidence in the flesh, and then he's bringing up himself as an example. In verse, or starting in verse 3, um, for we are the true circumcision who worship God in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul is going to be describing in this what a true follower really looks like. A person who worships in spirit and truth and rejoices in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Um, so he's bringing out the, the contrast between uh, that and a person who is of who is putting their their confidence in uh, earthly things in his in their wealth and their influence and their power uh, to be able to shake the faith of others. So in verse four, he brings up himself and he kind of just brings out his his the the resume of of Paul. All right, so so starting off. Circumcised on the eighth day. This was in accordance with the law of Moses that they would, they would circumcise the child on the eighth day. He is a nation of the nation of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin. Um, he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as to the law, a Pharisee. A Pharisee is one of the highest ranking people among the Jewish nation. There are people who, who know the law, who practice the law. By a certain age, they would have to memorize the entire law. Um, they, they were the, the, the religious elite, if you will. Um, and he says, and in zeal, a persecutor of the church. And that was the, the scripture that I had Brandon read uh, where he was going to be able to, uh, to shut down any kind of contrary doctrine to the law. Um, and he wasn't, he didn't see the full picture of, of Christ's fulfillment of the law. And so in his persecuting the church, he did it zealously, believing that he was doing that for God. And then the next one, as to righteousness, which is found in the law, found blameless. That's pretty amazing. If you've read the law, there is so much and to be able to say that he is blameless in the law is a really, really high standard. So you think of this. This is Paul's life. Um, 
to be able to make it in the nation of Israel at this time, Paul had it. He had it made. Um, this was really the, the best of the best. He had the highest education. He was uh, one of the higher political leaders. Um, he had the, the high-ranking uh, Pharisees and the priests on his side to give him letters to continue persecuting the church. And we remember what happened on the road uh, where the bright light shone and Christ spoke to him. And there was a difference. Now, something I want us to be able to see in this list here, none of this stuff is actually bad. This is all very good stuff. Um, nothing here is in itself sinful uh, according to the law, that he, that in the way he saw it at least with the, the persecuting the church. Um, but Paul had it all. And so, if we, if we look at another scripture, and if you'd like, you can go ahead and stay in, in Philippians chapter 3, but I'm going to look at uh, Paul's life now. Um, Christ appeared to him on the road, and he changed his life. So what does his life look like now? He gave up all this great stuff. What's his life like? In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, Paul, Paul kind of recites some things that have happened in his life. He said, first off, five times I have received from the Jews 40 minus one lashes. Um, this is in accordance with uh, the law in Deuteronomy chapter 25. They were only supposed to lash someone 40 times. Um, and there was punishment if they went over that. And so what they would do is give one less in case they miscounted. Um, 40 lashes is to bring someone to the point of death, uh, but just barely not kill them. And he says five times that's he's gone through that. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. You imagine having some grown men with rods wailing on you until you can't defend yourself anymore. Once I was stoned. So it just kind of says, once I was stoned. Imagine having rocks thrown at you from, multi, or from several people until they assume that you are dead. This is usually ending in an execution. Um, this is something that, that would bring people to death. He says, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. He has been on frequent journeys for the sake of Christ. He has been in dangers of rivers Dangers from robbers, dangers from my own countrymen, his own people bringing such dangers to him. Dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren, his own brethren, he has to be weary of also. In labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, this word exposure means naked, He's thrown out to die several times, stripped and naked. And what I find amazing in all of this is that this is a life that Paul chose. This is something that he gave up, all of his, his good things, in order to live this life. 
This is not something that is a circumstantial loss. This is something that he did knowingly. And then he says, apart from such things, there's the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. That verse, the greatest burden that Paul has had to bear, greater than all of these things, is the pressure on him of concern for all the churches. His love and concern for souls. And by the way, Paul is in prison when he's writing this letter to the Philippians. So my next section in this lesson is, is kind of just asking why. Why would someone do this? Why would someone give up such a good life for this? If we're continuing uh, in verse 7 through verse 9, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So Paul brings up this loss here. He, he has lost uh, everything that, that was gained to him before. He's counted as loss. He counts it as nothing. Um, he counts all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus and suffer the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. Um, by the way, this, this word down here at the bottom, this word rubbish, it's a nice word for sewage. He not only considers these good things in his life to be nothing, he considers them to be repulsive. It is disgusting. If anything in this life would get in the way of my relationship with God, would get in the way of his purpose. But that's not really the answer that I'm, I'm, I'm looking for. That's, that's Paul's devotion and, and the, the, how, how much uh, Paul's striving for this goal, but that's not the, the reason that I'm seeing here. The reason I see here is for the sake of Christ, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, that word know is to have a deep and intimate relationship with, um, that I may gain Christ, to be able to gain Christ. This relationship is what he longs for. But Why? What is, that's, that's still not, not what I'm, not the only thing that I see here. Why is this relationship so valuable? In verse 9, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. This righteousness. Now I want us to be able to, to see something here. 
there is an inherent nature in Christ's coming to earth. One of them we're, we're very, very familiar with. It's that, that Christ would pay the cost of sin, a sacrifice of forgiveness, the reason for Christ's coming. But there's something else that Christ's uh, purpose was by coming, that he would be a light, a beacon, an, an, example, an example and pattern for how one ought to live. And this pattern that Christ gave is a pattern that Paul is striving to conform to. In verse 10 and 11, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. To be able to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This pattern that Christ gave is that he taught us how to live, to be able to live a life without sin, to suffer, and Paul preaches on this so much, to suffer for the sake of righteousness. And even that was in the, the scripture reading this morning, that, that God would show him how he, ought, or how he must suffer for his sake. And that we would die in every way to our will and selfish desires. And the outcome by conforming to these things is that there is a resurrection from death, from sin, to be able to rise united with God forever. It is this resurrection from the dead that is completely worthy of losing everything. In verses, or in, in Acts chapter 14, there was a verse that I really, really liked in verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And this is the most probably well-known uh, passage in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if, in anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the, that same standard to which we have attained. This standard 
of Christ is something that we need to conform ourselves to, to be able to, to strive for. This is something that Paul has dedicated his life to, giving up everything and continuing to give up everything. In other places, he says the, the sacrifices that we have, the, the pain that we have to endure, it's not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to come. And in verse 17, he says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. He says, follow my example. Follow this example. Conform to me as I'm conforming to Christ. To be able to show us the way we ought to live. The way we ought to suffer. The way we ought to die. And the way that in which we are to have a resurrection. Heaven and hell are real. And I really wish we believed that. Verse 2, when, when Paul was warning them about these, these dogs, these evil workers, and these false circumcision, these are people who put pride in their faith in the flesh, who are upsetting the faith, who are in every way enemies of Paul and enemies of Christ. But in this passage, Paul describes them with tears. He says in verse 18, For many walk, of whom I often tell you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19 whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, and who set their minds on earthly things. To someone who actually believes in heaven and hell, the loss of a soul is a painful blow. It is this conviction that Paul had that he had the strength and the determination to endure anything that he had to endure in this life in order to tell more people about heaven and hell. This is an encouragement and a warning. 
Know where your home is. He says in verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of power that he has to subject all things to himself. In chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Where is your home? What is your mind and focus set on? And are you waiting eagerly for our Lord to return? Stand firm. That's Paul's word here. Eagerly wait and stand firm. God does not promise a Christian happiness. The Christian life is one that looks forward, often in hardship. It is a life that is conflicted and in constant suffering because we are striving for godliness in a sinful world. Because we are called to be a people of love who care for others while their souls are not making it to heaven. This letter is filled with pain and struggles. But you won't find a book more filled with joy and gladness than Paul's letter to the Philippians. He's able to do this because he is looking forward to something beyond this life. And that's what we must do also. Our citizenship is in heaven, for which, or from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. This is my exhortation for today. I hope this has been encouraging, um, and I hope this is able to, to spur you to, to read Philippians more. Uh, this was written as a letter uh, to a church. It was read all at once in one setting. Um, I encourage you to, to read it in that same way and put yourselves in, in the Philippians' shoes, um, being able to hear these words from a beloved brother who has gone through a lot of hardships and is, is writing to you from prison. And I hope this will be able to encourage us to be able to live life and stop living life for this life 
but to center our focus and our devotion in this life with a purpose towards heaven and, and being unified with God eternally. If there's any way we can help anyone here, we can uh, certainly do that if he comes forward as we stand and sing the song.